My name is Brandon. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and uh, I'm really excited to keep going in our series called Triggered this morning. And we've all made mistakes, right? Show of hands, who's made a mistake? Yeah, if your hand's not up, you just made a mistake because you lied, okay? Listen, we've all made mistakes. We've all sped through yellow lights. Maybe we've cheated on a math test in high school, or maybe we've lied to get what we want um, now, those are just personal examples, right? But I'm sure you've got stuff too. Um, I, I, what is, I think that the next question I want to ask you is what, is, what is a secret that no one knows about you? What's a secret no one knows about you? What's something that you have kept in the dark and you hope no one ever finds out? Like maybe your spouse doesn't know. Maybe your kids don't know. Maybe your friends don't know. Maybe your family doesn't even know. What is a secret that you have kept in the dark? Now, when I was six or seven years old, um, I was going through my parents' medicine cabinet as a six or seven-year-old does, and I found my dad's shaving cream. And what I learned very quickly is that shaving cream is a lot of fun. Okay. And so what I would do is I would go into my parents' bathroom. I would lock the door. I'd take my, my dad's shaving cream. I would turn on the shower and I would cover from top to bottom the entire shower with shaving cream. Just and I would just let it expand. And then what I would do is I would take my dad's razor and I would actually shave the shower, right? Like it was so much fun. I just, I loved how, you know, what it looked like. I loved the feeling of kind of shaving. I'm also a little OCD. So doing the lines, I'm like, yes, this is amazing. Okay, then one night, um, this is all very normal, by the way. This is how I grew up. One night we're sitting in the kitchen and I hear my dad ask my mom like, hey, my shaving cream is just disappearing. Do you know anything about that? And my mom was like, I don't, I don't know. My dad's like, well, I just went to shave and my shaving cream was empty. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. And sure enough, my dad comes over and he's like, Brandon, would you know anything about that? And I went, nope, no idea. Don't know what's happening. Right? I was having too much fun. It's shaving cream. I'm six years old, seven years old. This is a blast. Well, a couple days later, uh, in the bathroom again, uh, emptying another bottle of shaving cream into the shower. And uh, the only problem was I forgot to lock the door this time. And so in walked my dad. He gave me a look and it was just straight disappointment. And he walked back out. Oh, crap. And and so I I went over and in that moment, I felt an intense emotion that we've all navigated at some point. And that emotion is remorse. Now, remorse isn't bad. In fact, the remorse that I felt in that moment, it, it led to me being convicted, which then led to repentance and asking my dad's forgiveness for lying to him. Remorse is something that all of us has dealt, have, we've dealt with at some point in our life, right? Maybe we said something hurtful and we felt remorse. Or, or we yelled at our kids, we felt remorse. We shorted someone at work, we felt remorse. It's, it's something that we feel, it's an emotion we feel when we are filled with deep regret or guilt and then are led to make it right. That's what remorse is. But 
remorse with no repentance, remorse with no pursuit to make it right, can lead to something unhealthy. Remorse that is left in the dark can breed shame. It can breed shame. Now, there's a difference between guilt and shame. There's a a Christian psychiatrist, his name's Kurt Thompson, and he wrote a book called The Soul of Shame. Fantastic book. And he distinguishes, here's the difference between guilt and shame. This is what he says. Guilt is something I feel because I have done something bad. Shame is something I feel because I am bad. Did you catch the difference there? Guilt is something I feel because I have done something bad. Shame is something I feel because I am bad. Guilt or remorse is something that we feel because of an action that we've done. Shame is something we feel because we believe something about our identity. And shame is a tough thing to break because what happens is it starts to become part of who we are. It's a cycle that we fall into. It's a cycle that we become trapped in because the next time we make a mistake, that shame creeps up and says, of course you made that mistake. That's who you are. Of course you did that again. That is who you are. You would lie again. You are a liar. You would be selfish again because you are selfish. And the longer we push remorse down without dealing with it, the more potent that feeling of shame becomes. The more it it makes us believe we will never be better because we aren't good. Because we don't deserve better. Or sometimes our shame actually triggers us to just start justifying any and all of our actions so that we avoid the act of confessing that we were wrong and, and avoid the consequences that might come with it. Right? I was overwhelmed with shame for my actions and, and I knew there would be consequences when it came to the shaving cream. Right? Like I knew I was going to get in trouble. When my dad asked me, sitting at the kitchen table, Brandon, do you know anything about this? I felt shame. And so what I did is I justified my actions. Well, it's just shaving cream. I'm having fun. He'll never find out. And that's what shame wants. Shame doesn't want you to be known. Shame does not want you to be known. And this is how it's been since the beginning of humanity. Open up to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, all the way back, the beginning of your Bible, might even be on page like 4 or 5, all the way back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, God has created the heavens, the earth, he separated light from dark, he's created animals, and he's created man and woman. And up until Genesis chapter 3, they have experienced nothing but perfect emotional, spiritual, and relational health. That's all they've ever known. Even their relationship, their relationship with God is perfect and the relationship with one another is perfect until that relationship is fractured through their choice to disobey God. And listen to the first emotion they felt after their disobedience. Verse 7 
At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt what? Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They felt shame. They disobeyed God. The one thing that, that God asked them not to do, they did. And it, it led them to a place where they felt shame. And look at where that shame drove them. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. The shame that they felt led them to hide from God. And this is what shame wants. It does not want you to be known so that it can continue to grow and shape who you believe yourself to be. Shame for for Adam and Eve. You ate the fruit. You are no longer loved by God. You, You ate the fruit. There is no way he will forgive you. You are unforgivable. The remorse that they felt for their disobedience was actually healthy, but instead of addressing and confessing their mistake to God, they went and they hid. And that's where shame lives. That's where shame wants you to go. My my study Bible talking about this verse actually said this, a guilty conscience or, or remorse is a warning signal God has placed inside you that goes off when you've done wrong. The worst step you can take is to eliminate the guilty feelings without eliminating the cause. That would be like using a painkiller, but not treating the disease. Be glad those guilty feelings, that remorse is there. They make you aware of your sin so you can ask God's forgiveness and then correct your wrongdoing. God has given us the emotion of remorse so that we we, we recognize this is not something I should have done. Now I can go and seek forgiveness. I can seek restoration and reconciliation with God. But what shame wants, it wants you to run and hide instead. Don't confess it because then you're going to have to deal with the consequences. Don't address it because you may let someone down. So instead, just bury that remorse, hide it, and pretend like it never happened. It wants us to stay in the dark so that the shame can continue to grow. Do we have any, uh, any gardeners or plant moms or dads in the room? Anyone? Okay, a few of you. What a crazy phenomenon in our culture right now where people are referring to their plants as kids. This is a real thing. This is, we need Jesus desperately. So listen, I do not know much about plants. Like you give me a plant, I'll kill it, I promise. But... I stumbled across what's known as the Chinese evergreen. Have you ever heard of this? This is what a Chinese evergreen looks like. Beautiful plant, right? This is a Chinese evergreen. Now, as I was researching it, I actually found that this is a plant that grows better in dark environments, right? Like if science, remembering back to like when I was in science, like photosynthesis is important, right? Sunlight is important. But with the Chinese evergreen, it's actually the more dimly lit the area is where you put the Chinese evergreen, it actually grows better. The more light it is exposed to, the less it grows. In fact, it can actually hurt the plant. This is what shame wants. 
keep me in a dimly lit area. Keep me in the dark. Never address it and never confess it. And what you'll find is that if you do that, it will affect your relationships with God and others. Shame will start to affect your relationship with God's and God, God and others. Kurt Thompson, uh, again, at the beginning of his book, The Soul of Shame, he says this, the premise of this book then is that shame is not just a consequence of something our first parents, Adam and Eve, did in the Garden of Eden. It is an emotional weapon that evil uses to one, corrupt our relationships with God and with each other, and two, disintegrate any and all gifts of vocational vision and creativity. Now, here's what, here's what Kurt's talking about, right? So shame, one, destroys our relationship with God and with others. It keeps us away from people because if I spend time with people, they might actually find out. If I spend time with God, he might actually find out. He already knows, but we think that, right? Now, the second thing, right? He said it disintegrates any and all gifts of vocational vision and ministry. And this is what shame does. Shame isn't about an action. It's about our identity. So what shame will get you to believe is when you get asked to come up here and lead a prayer time, you think to yourself, no, 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 I can't do that. If you knew all of the bad things I have done, there's no way you would let me lead a time of prayer at the church. That's what shame does. So instead of you using the gifts that God has given you, instead you stay on the sideline because you don't feel worthy to use the gifts God's given you. That's what shame wants. So it destroys your relationship with God and with others. And it keeps you from using the gifts that God has given you. Shame is not about something we did. It's about who we believe ourselves to be. So if shame is where we end up, if remorse is not addressed in a healthy way, then what do we do? Like, what do we do with remorse? Well, the Bible actually tells us remorse is, it's a part of life. And that God has a plan to use our remorse to lead us closer to him. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10 says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, it says right here that the kind of sorrow God wants. Now, that's godly sorrow. That is mentioned here and is only used this one time in the entire New Testament. In the entire second half of the Bible. And what it's talking about is it's a, it is a grief. It is a remorse that we feel when we are deeply saddened at disobeying God. It's godly remorse. It's healthy. It's saying, listen, you have made a mistake. You have sinned against God. Now go and correct it. But worldly sorrow, that is remorse that lacks repentance. And it leads to spiritual death. In other words, that's shame. There's a key word in this verse that we're going to focus on. A word that brings our shame actually to the light and gives action to our remorse. And that word is repentance. Repentance brings healing and restoration. But to get to a place of repentance... What has been kept in the dark must be brought into the light. And we actually begin to heal when shame is exposed. 
Our healing process begins when we bring what's been kept in the dark for so long and we bring it to the light. Now, here's what's so beautiful. Turn to 1 John, basically the opposite end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 1. And John writes this beautiful, this beautiful book. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 10. And if you have a highlighter, highlight these verses. If you have a pen, underline these verses. These verses are so important when we feel shame in our lives. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. John says, God is light. Everything that we're keeping in the dark, God God already knows. Remember that question I asked at the beginning, what's, what's a secret that no one else knows about you? God knows. He knows about that thing that you did that you never confessed or addressed, and now it has led you to an endless cycle of shame in your life. What we keep in the dark, it just grows more rotten and rotten. There's a, a, a monk, long time ago, his name is Abbot Pastor, And he said this, if you have a chest full of clothing and you leave it for a long time, the clothing will rot inside it. It's the same with the thoughts in our hearts. If we do not carry them out by physical action after a long time, they will spoil and turn rotten. Those thoughts, those feelings of remorse, if they are left in the dark, they will spoil and grow rotten. But the great promise that we find, that the hope that we find in 1 John is that we find freedom when we bring what was in the dark and we expose it to the light. And it says that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. That if we feel remorse, we can confess it to others or to God. And we ask for forgiveness in verse 9 says that when we do that, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What we actually bring to the light, maybe it's been in the dark for a long time, it's grown rotten, it's spoiled. When we bring that to the light, what First John tells us is that we can find healing. That you don't have to sit in shame anymore. Today you, cannot, you can find freedom from that weight. And listen, I know it's a weight. I know shame is a weight because I've dealt with it my whole life. For whatever reason, shame is an emotion that, that, that the enemy just continues to come at me with because I hate disappointing people. I like to be liked. 
And when I feel like I've disappointed somebody, instead of confessing, addressing, going to them and trying to make it right, instead I just hide it, I bury it, and it leads to shame. But what I've learned is that when I bring it to the light, there's always forgiveness. Not because of anything that we do. Let's, let's be perfectly clear. We don't find forgiveness because of anything that we do, but because of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 and 22, it, it furthers this idea. It says, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. There's forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus. Now, if we go back to 1 John 1, it says that if we are living in the light, now your translation might actually say walking in the light. If we walk in the light, either way, both of those words, living and walking, imply action. They imply action. And this is the key to addressing the emotion of remorse in a healthy way. Shame wants you to do nothing. Shame wants you to bundle it all up, lock it in a closet and never deal with it. To just keep it in the dark. But first John tells us that navigating remorse involves walking in the light, that there is action that to address remorse in a healthy way, there has to be something that is involved, some, some action that we must do, even when we know there are going to be consequences, even when we know there's going to be a hardship on the other side after we confess what we feel remorse for. We must always push to be in the light as he is in the light. And what's amazing is that what we see from Jesus is that as we confess, as we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive. The door has been opened to us, right? If Hebrews says we can go right into the presence of God. The door has been opened to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can now find healing from that shame that we feel. But as the veterans of Alcoholics Anonymous report, we are only as sick as the secrets we keep. And shame is committed to keeping us sick. Shame is committed to keeping us sick. But Jesus wants us to be restored, to be healthy. So how do we, be, how, how do we get healthy? How do we move more in, in, a, in, a, in a healthy, emotional, and spiritual direction? I want to give a few tools to, to help you move more in that direction. There's going to be four things. The first one is this. Embrace confession. Man, when you constantly are exposing things to the light, it's hard for anything to grow in the dark. This is the first step. Now, confession must be personal. It, this is something that you have done. Don't, don't sit down and start confessing and say, well, if they hadn't done this or if they hadn't done this or they led me to this. No, no, no. Be, take ownership for the actions that you have done. Confession is, is, is owning a mistake that you have made and seeking forgiveness or, or reconciliation with the offended party. And here's what's fantastic about Jesus. Because of him, you now have direct access to God, right? Hebrew says right into the presence of God. 
You don't have to come to me to confess your sins. You don't have to go to a pastor to confess your sins or go to your life group leader or someone that you view as more spiritual than you. You have access straight to God. And the Bible tells us that you will receive mercy when you confess to him. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. That's a promise from God that if you go to him and you confess, you will receive mercy. So bring to light what is in the dark and embrace confession. Now, the next thing we need to embrace is correction. And we don't like this one. Embrace correction. I love this quote from Kurt Thompson. He says, it's equally true that in order for me to be liberated from the shame I carry, I need someone to be able to say to me, you're right, you were wrong to have done this. You were wrong for doing this. How many people do you have in your life that have the freedom to sit across from you and say, you were wrong. What you said was not loving. What you did was not forgiving. What you did was wrong. Who has freedom to say that to you in your life? I'm going to guess not many people because we run from this as fast as we possibly can. This is actually why people run from God's word. Because how dare you tell me that something I did was wrong? I decide what is right and wrong, and you can't stop me. You live in your truth, I'm gonna live in my truth. We run from correction and truth, and in doing so, we are left with no direction and no accountability. That sounds like anarchy. But the Bible's clear, correction and discipline, it's not a bad thing. In fact, Proverbs puts it very bluntly. Proverbs 12.1, to learn You must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. That's God's word. It's stupid to hate correction. And all the parents said, amen. Yes. But listen, this is just as true for adults as it is with kids. We need correction, discipline. We need people that will sit across from us and say with love, that's key, that will say with love, what you did was wrong. What you said was wrong. Now let's work to repair it. And if you are unwilling to acknowledge what you did was wrong, I want you to remember 1 John 1. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. I want you to remember verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Shame has no hold on us when we've already acknowledged we've made a mistake, but it's not who we are. So embrace confession and correction. But there's one more piece, one more C that we need to do to really, really well to to remain emotionally healthy, and that's embrace community. Embrace community. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Here's what's awesome. Yes, this morning you can sit in your chair and privately confess to God what you are feeling remorse for today. And that's really good. 
But the Bible is also clear that we need to confess our sins one to another. And I I love this insight from the martyr and, and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, Why is it that so often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. But a brother is as sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience in the dark night of secret sin, why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to a holy God? A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of another person. We confess to one another because it reminds us we're not alone. It invites others to empathize with us and pray with us. It invites others into the journey that we're on toward healing. And it invites others to witness the miracles that God might do in our life along the way. So who are those people for you? Who are those people that you can look at or they can look at you and say, what you did was wrong. Now let's, let's go and make it right. And if you don't have any, man, start today. Find those people. Be intentional to, to pursue people that will help you look more like Jesus and break the cycle of shame that you may be in. Now, lastly, and, and this, is, this is so important. Some of you, maybe you're in this room and you don't know Jesus and yet you are still stuck in shame. Like you don't know Jesus and so as you're stuck in this endless cycle of shame, you're actually walking through it without any hope, no solution. Here's my challenge for you. Embrace Jesus. Run to him. Bring what is hidden in the dark to him who is light. And John tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us. Here's what shame wants you to think. Someone like you could never go to a person like Jesus. Here's what shame wants you to think. You are unforgivable. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There is no sin that can separate us from God's love. Do not allow shame to tell you who you are. Only your creator gets to do that. So today, if you are tired, if you are worn out, if shame is a weight that you feel, embrace Jesus Allow him to heal what has been hidden for so long in the dark. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that right now. 
I just have a sense that there are some people in this room that have been saying that they are in the light, but have been living in darkness. And so right now I ask that you would bring to the surface what they are unwilling to address. Maybe it's shame, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's living a double life, I don't know. But I ask today, what is in the dark would be brought to the light so that healing can begin. God, I thank you that you are all loving, that your forgiveness, it never runs out, that your mercies are new every single morning because you know that I need mercy every single day. I pray against shame in our lives. God, remorse, it's, it's healthy. It brings us to a place where we repent, where we ask for forgiveness, where we find healing, but shame it. It tells us we are unlovable. It makes us think that you are constantly disappointed with us when we make mistakes, but that's not what your word says. So I pray that, God, you would even help us to spend more time meditating on your word, that we would know it, that it would be seared onto our hearts and, and a part of what we think about on a daily basis. So that when shame comes and says, this is who you are, we can say, no, 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 that's not, that's not who he says I am. God, I pray for the people in this room that might not have a relationship with Jesus. I pray that today is the start. I pray that they would see and hear that Jesus gave up his life. He shed his blood to cover all of the sins that they have committed, all of the times they've disobeyed God, all of the times they've been selfish. Jesus paid for all of those on a cross. He shed his blood so that we might be cleansed, be made whole, so that our relationship with our Father in heaven could be restored and that we would be given new life. And so, God, maybe there are some people in this room, I just ask that right now in their seats, they would say, Jesus, just be Lord of my life. I know I've made mistakes. Even this morning, I made mistakes, but I confess them to you and I ask that you would forgive me and be Lord of my life. We thank you, God, that you are good, even when we're not. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.